The Jewish views on David Ward, the controversial politician now dismissed from the Liberal Democrats. We get reaction from the man himself and the Harrow East Lib Dem candidate. Britain's Got Talents, Jess Robinson tells us about making an impression on the hit ITV show. And we find out just what it was like taking part in March of the Living 2017. But first, with a roundup of the Jewish news this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. The former MP David Ward, who's been accused of making anti-Semitic remarks on many occasions, has been barred by the Liberal Democrats from running for his old seat in Bradford East in the general election. The dramatic move came just hours after a high-profile backlash from the Prime Minister, the Jewish community and senior figures within the Lib Dems. The party's leader, Tim Farron, said David Ward was unfit to represent the Liberal Democrats and that he'd sacked him. One of Mr Ward's comments nearly four years ago was to ask, how long can the apartheid state of Israel last? The controversial president of the National Union of Students, Malia Boatia, has been ousted from the post after being defeated in her bid for re-election. The Union of Jewish Students sent what it called heartfelt congratulations to the new president, Shakira Martin, saying the result was a rejection of the divisive rhetoric that Ms Boatia used. Last October, the Commons Home Affairs Committee concluded that comments made by her describing Birmingham University as a Zionist outpost smacked of outright racism. Pupils at JFS have been offered counselling after the sudden death of 17-year-old Joel Ingram, who was a sixth former at the school. Joel, who lived in Mill Hill, was a popular student who'd helped the JFS football team to success. Headmistress Deborah Lipkin said it had been a tremendous shock to the entire JFS community and that all thoughts were with Joel's family. Researchers from Israel's Ben-Gurion University of the Negev have found that babies born after IVF are three times more likely to develop cancers such as leukemia and brain and spinal cord tumours in their early years. Over a period of 18 years, more than 242,000 Israeli children were monitored. Of those, 98% were conceived naturally, with the remainder born after in vitro fertilisation or as a result of ovulation induction. Israel is considered to be a world leader in IVF treatment. The experts say their findings might be due to eggs being fertilised by potentially defective sperm grown in a lab, or that hormones used in IVF could affect the foetus during a critical period of growth. And finally, a Royal British Legion poppy seller who survived Auschwitz has celebrated his 100th birthday. Ron Jones from Newport in South Wales has been collecting for the annual appeal for more than 30 years. Mr Jones was a soldier in the Second World War who was captured in the Middle East and was then, for two years, working alongside Jewish slave workers in a forced labour camp within the Auschwitz complex. The Royal British Legion said Ron was not just one of the oldest collectors, but a true ambassador who was extremely popular and a real gentleman. That's the news this week. Here's Andrew with the sport. Thank you very much, Vivian. A last-minute strike from Adam Burchill saw London Lions beat Redbridge 2-1 in a controversial Cyril Angstin Cup final. While Lions manager Ryan Springer was delighted to see his side end their season with some silverware, his Redbridge counterpart John Jacobs criticised the standard of refereeing, saying, I don't think we got the rub of the green with some decisions. Elsewhere, 
Israel will host next year's European Judo Championships. Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are being touted as potential venues, with the Israel Judo Association chairman Moshe Ponte saying, It's a great honour for us to be chosen as the hosts of such a major sporting event. And finally, Israeli Eton Hermon set a marathon world record for single-leg amputee runners when he finished the Vienna Marathon in Austria in a time of 2 hours 56 minutes and 53 seconds. Remember, you can catch up on all the latest Jewish sport at jewishnews.co.uk. Andrew, thank you very much indeed, and welcome along to this edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let us start off, as we always do, with a look through your copy of the 1000th edition of The Jewish News for this week. Well, it's not the 1000th this week, you understand. It's the 1000th edition, full stop. Anyway, I digress. Joining me to go through it is editor Richard Ferrer and supplements editor Bridget Grant. Welcome to you both. Well, Richard, I suppose we better start off by saying mazel tov and happy anniversary to the Jewish news. Thank you very much. 1000. That's quite impressive. Yeah, I'll say it again. 1,000. It's an awesome <laughs> number, isn't it? You're very proud, I can tell. You haven't been here for all of those 1,000, though, have you? As I mentioned in my piece this week, my first one was 579 in oh, sept- so not bad. September, October 2009. So I'm, I'm approaching half a century myself. Fantastic. Half a century, half a millennia myself. Wow. Well, there you go. We are going to go through the 1,000th in more details in just a moment. But let's have a quick look at the front page, as we always do, with a headline that reads, It's Zayanara at last. Yes, this week saw the the back of two foes of the Jewish community, David Ward, former MP, and Malia Bouatia, who is now the former president of the NUS. Malia has run the student union for best part of 12 months now. She was the one that called... Birmingham University, a Zionist outpost, alienating Jewish students. It's fair to say that the uh, Union of Jewish Students are particularly relieved that she will no longer be leading their movement. She's now gone and she's been replaced. And David Ward, he was an MP in Bradford up until 2015, very vociferously anti-Israel, comparing what was going on in the Gaza Strip to the the Nazis and the Holocaust, saying that if he uh, was in Gaza, he'd be inclined to fire rockets at Israeli civilians. A couple of weeks ago, he said the Westminster stabbing attack was because of British foreign policy. He was actually named as a candidate for the Liberal Democrats in that very seat until Tim Farron, the leader, intervened and has sacked him. So he he is not going to stand in that seat and the community side a great great welcome relief for that and for the news of the Mali Buatia vote. But of course the reason why he has been dismissed by Tim Farron is because a much high profile complaining from Sir Eric Pickles the outgoing chair of the Conservative Friends of Israel and even when he put it to Prime Minister Theresa May herself she too also expressed concern over the selection process for the Lib Dems for such an individual to be a candidate or potential candidate for the Bradford East constituency. So it was quite high profile. It was a very swift about turn. You're right, it was a part of PMQs on Wednesday and Theresa May actually said that she was absolutely gobsmacked that somebody like this could represent the Liberal Democrats in that seat. Tim Farron said at the time it wasn't up to him to decide who's selected for certain seats and then only a matter of hours later he took the situation into his own hands and he writes actually in the Jewish News this week a column headlined Why I Sacked David Ward extraordinary stuff and it really was very fast paced. Okay, let's move on to have a look at the election as a whole because that's also what's in the news this week, isn't it? Well, while David Ward certainly won't be missed, two politicians that certainly will are Michael Duggar and Eric Pickles, two great 
great loyal friends of the Jewish community, two people that will not be seeking re-election come June the 8th. We've spoken to Eric Pickles this week about his legacy and the incredible work he's done for the community. Amongst his proudest things that he's achieved is setting the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism. He was personally thanked by the Prime Minister for that. He still calls that a work in progress, something he'd still like to see worked on in his absence. And Michael Duggar, who has been spoken in the most high terms by community leaders, one of whom called him a mensch, and he'll certainly be missed in the Jewish community. We're also hosting no less than nine hustings across the community at constituencies with a lot of Jews in association with the London Jewish Forum. We're going to be in Finchley, Hendon, Hampstead, uh, Harrow East across the next few weeks, listening to people as they stand and seek power and and seek the mandate of, of the local constituents. So lots to think about and a lot to exercise the mind between now and June the 8th. I think that because of the outcome of the the last referendum and people then having to kind of rethink how they voted or what they did, not understanding the outcomes of that, how that will, it must serve to influence how they vote this time because maybe they want to be better prepared or, you know, be directed by someone that they trust. I think that there's, you know, they've got misgivings about how they voted last time then how will they vote this time? Well, I think one thing that is particularly interesting in terms of the general election is that it is something we can agree that no matter whether you're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, whatever your background, whatever your faith, and whatever your culture, it affects absolutely every single one of us. And I think that that is certainly worth mentioning. Now, let's just move on because I mentioned it a little earlier on that it's the small matter of the 1,000th edition of the Jewish News this week. And so what have you done to celebrate that, Richard? Well, quite. We couldn't let this landmark moment in the Jewish community's history go without a considerable celebration. We have a souvenir magazine in the paper this week where we reflect on not only 20 years of the Jewish news, 20 years of the Jewish community. And you think back to 1997, Tony Blair, Princess Diana, and how far we've come and how how many things we've seen and experienced, good and bad. And we reflect on so many different things and how the Jewish news has been at the the centre of it, reporting on it, shaping it, offering a place for people to comment on it. It's been an absolute privilege for me personally for the last eight years to be the one who's been at the helm of the the product and, and long may it continue far after I finally hang up my typewriter. We go through many, many different elements of the community. We've got a message from the Queen, the Prime Minister, the Chief Rabbi, the head of the Reform Movement, the London Mayor, all the great and the good in the community and beyond have shared this special day with us and we celebrate it across 40 colourful pages in a magazine in this week's paper. Terrific. And obviously, Bridget, I know that you're still relative newcomer to the Jewish news, but what would you say is standout moments for you? Well, I, I mean, I love the supplement. I love the way that it's put together. I think that these things serve as a reminder. They're, they're like a personal reminder as well as a community reminder because you put yourself, you know, where you were in that year. And it is remarkable to think that in the time that the papers existed, we have gone through all of that with Princess Diana. And I think it's very moving. I think the mayor wrote a particularly, Sadiq Khan's written a, a wonderful 
letter. As I said to Richard when I looked at it, it you know, let's hope that the Prime Minister's letter at the front stands the test of time, that it will still be relevant after June. Other political <laughs> candidates are available. Absolutely. And you're going to say that. <laughs> but it is, we've come a lot. Work together is, too long, Richard. <laughs> oh, but it, what is sad, and I do think there is a sadness to that, is that every time you turn a page, there is an Israel issue that you wish that we'd moved on, that things were different, and that at the end of this period at which Richard emerges only 500 years old mm. as he's come halfway, I think it would be wonderful to be on the last page and know that there was some sort of resolution for everyone. That would be a special anniversary. It is uncanny how history repeats itself, not, not year after year, but month after month, and the obsession of the community with the same subjects, the things that we hold dear, the same things that we hold dear every year and, and every decade. And yeah, you're right, I, I hope that as, as the years go by we, we can start to be a little bit more hopeful and hopefully anti-semitism and attacks on israel and, and other community issues start to kind of meld away and we can focus on on happier times we're going to move slightly away from the paper now because it's not very often that we delve into personal matters but richard I know that that you have a small plea to make to the community. What would you like to ask? Yeah, I'm having a tough time at the moment, personally. Any cat lovers, any pet lovers out there will understand the affinity and the warmth and and the relationship that we have with our furry friends. My cat, uh, his name's Leveson, named after Lord Justice Brian Leveson of the Leveson Inquiry into phone tapping in the Fleet Street Press. Anyway, he answers to the name Leveson, long story short, has been missing since Monday of last week, put posters up, knocked on doors done everything I can and anyone who's lost a cat or a dog will understand how I'm feeling we've had him for two and a half years and we do miss him terribly so if you live in the Finchley area specifically the North Finchley area and you see a silver Devon Rex with a purple collar around his neck looking bewildered like he might be missing me I would awfully appreciate it if somebody could potentially just contact the paper and let me know of his whereabouts well, as an animal lover myself, I can sympathise wholeheartedly. I know that I'd be absolutely gutted if I was in your shoes, Rich. So naturally, we do hope that that does something. And hopefully, hopefully he'll come back very, very soon. That's where we'll have to leave it, though, for a look at the paper for this week. So thank you both very much indeed. Don't forget that you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London, or you can read the e-version online at jewishnews.co.uk. As you've already been hearing, the former MP David Ward has been barred by the Liberal Democrats from running for his old seat in Bradford East in the general election. Mr Ward has sparked outrage in the past with controversial comments made over Israel and the Palestinians. To get reaction, I've been speaking to the Liberal Democrat candidate for Harrow East constituency, of course one of the more densely Jewish populated areas, that is Adam Bernard. I started by asking him, does he worry that controversy of any sort surrounding his party affects his chances in an election? I'm not too worried given that the party has responded, as far as I'm concerned, they responded satisfactorily. If they hadn't, it would have been terrible. But on hearing about um, David Ward having been appointed, there were lots of Liberal Democrats, including myself, including ethnic minority Liberal Democrats as an organisation. And we wrote to the leadership and the leadership took note and it acted. And I think 
while it was regrettable that it arose in the first place, I don't think it's going to have lasting effects and I don't think it should. So just to clarify then, you don't think that he should have ever been selected in the first place potentially to be the Liberal Democrat representative for the Bradford East constituency? Well, who uh, Bradford East selects is entirely a matter for the Bradford East party, but I can just say that if this were happening in a local party that I was a member of, I wouldn't have voted for him. So the problem is, and this is going to be, I should imagine, a bit of a, a matter of contention for Jews listening, which obviously the bulk of our audience is, that they would think that the fact that the Liberal Democrats could be associated with somebody who is alleged to have made comments that many of our listeners would find quite abhorrent in the first place, surely cannot be in line with the Liberal Democrats' way of thinking as a party as a whole. And then that could cause cause for concern. Of course. What I would say is that this came up quite a long time ago, a few years ago, in 2013, I believe, and he was suspended from the party and he... After a period, the suspension lapsed and he was readmitted and he managed not to make comments for long enough. And after the 2015 election, when he lost his seat no longer as an MP, he was lower profile. His comments, thankfully, didn't get the attention that they have had since. But now, with this coming to view... I hadn't realised that he was even still active politically, but I was very cross to learn that he'd been appointed. And I think Tim did the right thing by sacking him. Would you mind if you just said why you personally were cross by it? I'm not necessarily saying right or okay. wrong. I just wonder. I'm entirely in favour of free speech. And as a Liberal Party... We have to be tolerant of free speech, but there are limits. And but I then surely if there are limits, that's not free speech then? One of the limits is that one doesn't use speech that's going to incite hatred against a community. This goes beyond political discussion. Some of the comments that he's made were far beyond criticising Israel and well into making allegations about the character of Jews. And I find both as a Jew and as a liberal that to be unacceptable. Right. So then would that mean then, obviously, and it is to some might be apparent that you are Jewish anyway. But by that, I mean, does that mean that that could cloud your judgment on the handling of David Ward's case? I can't deny that I take it personally when someone is abusive about the Jewish community, but I also take it extremely seriously when people make these kind of foul comments about any other ethnic religious group. It's not something that is safe to encourage in a society, and especially in somewhere like Harrow, which is incredibly diverse I think Harrow East constituency is the most religiously diverse in the country. And I'm very proud of that. And one of the things that goes along with that is we need to have harmonious relations and we need our MPs and our prospective MPs to encourage that and not stir them up. You have said that you don't believe there will be any lasting damage to the Liberal Democrats. 
But the truth is the timing of this is fairly appalling in terms of trying to win a Jewish vote for the Liberal Democrats with a matter of weeks before a general election. Do you think that the cracks can be smoothed over in time? I think people will have to look at the way that the party has responded and they're going to have to make their own judgment. In my view, the party acted extremely speedily, extremely decisively, and it was not in two minds as to whether this was acceptable. Is there a problem with British politics per se? Because we can't deny and can't overlook the fact that obviously the Labour Party has been primarily associated with accusations of anti-Semitism in recent months or even recent years, I think. And also, as far as the Liberal Democrats are concerned, now that this particular incident has happened, then obviously we could say that the same has happened with them. The Conservatives in the past have also had their fair share of controversies here and there. Is there just a problem with British politics across the scale? And the truth of the matter is that British Jews still face an issue when it comes to political allegiance. I think that anti-Semitism is a thing. It is real. I don't think it's a problem with politics. I think it's a problem with society. And as far as what the Labour Party or the Conservatives, how they respond to it, when it manifests itself in their ranks, you're going to have to ask them. I'm very pleased in this instance that the Liberal Democrats have come down on the right side, made the right decision. Adam Bernard, the Liberal Democrat candidate for the Harrow East constituency, talking to me there in reaction to David Ward being dismissed by Tim Farron this week. Well, to clarify exactly what his stance on the Middle East was, I've actually been speaking to David himself. And let's hear now the part of the conversation where I categorically ask him whether or not he's prepared to apologise for any offence caused by the comments he's made in the past. Anything that you have said in the past, especially in light of events this week, do you have any regrets? Any comments that you have made that have ultimately led to you now not being allowed to represent your party or your former party, I should say, now the Liberal Democrats in the forthcoming general election, do you regret any of those comments that have ultimately led to you now being dismissed from Liberal Democrats? Uh, Apart from... uh a phrase which uh, was, I was saying this was dealt with four years ago, which laid me open to accusations of being anti-Semitic. Um, but again, we did deal with all this four years ago. This is, this is really old stuff. Um, it's old I stuff that affects people, people in this day and age still. If you, if one so, uh, if someone who is Jewish or supports Israel is listening to this comments, whether they're made four years ago, 40 years ago, there are some comments that affect people, that they upset people. And the truth is that comments that you are supposed to have said have upset people. So I'm now sort of saying to a Jewish audience... Israel, there is no way, there is no way of making critical comments of Israel that supporters of Israel will accept. They will always be offended by them. But it wasn't Israel, it was Jews. That was the point. The, the part, the oh, part that actually offends you. We're in, we're, in a bit of a, we're in a bit of a loop here, aren't we? Well, it's not so you much know, a I... loop, but I want to know whether or not those comments specifically, do you regret them and do you apologise? Right now that you know that a Jewish audience is listening, do you apologise for those? Uh, I will reiterate um, again and say what I said over and over again uh, four years ago, um, that I was very clear about what I meant. 
I was talking about particularly the Nakba, and I was talking about what has happened since then and actions. Uh, and very sudden, that, as I said, that these actions were taking place and being perpetrated by by people who had a, a race that has suffered so much. That was the point I was making following the Holocaust visit, in which we were implored, we were urged to consider people wherever they had suffered, wherever they had suffered. Uh, and I said, well, the Palestinians have been suffering as well. And isn't it a great shame that it is happening um, and is being perpetrated by peoples whose race has been subject to persecution uh, for centuries? I said that that's all in the statement that, that I issued. Politician David Ward talking to me there following his dismissal by Tim Farron, the leader of the Liberal Democrats this week. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Still to come on this edition, Clive Roslin will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive and Adam will be joined by founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carbritz. They'll be discussing the community's responsibility in preventing hatred. Plus, community editor Diana Toman will be speaking to Jude Williams and Ben Salomon from SEDEC about taking part in March of the Living 2017. But first, Britain's Got Talent is now back on our screens for the 11th series, demonstrating variety at its finest, from dancers to singers and even impressionists. Jess Robinson wowed the judges with her take on the likes of Shirley Bassey, Julie Andrews and even Liza Minnelli. And now she's been speaking to arts editor Kate Fulton. Kate started by asking Jess to tell us a bit more about her performing background. I went to school where... We did lots of acting and singing and and all of that. And I left school when I was 18. I was meant to go to university and do a music degree, but I didn't go. <laughs> so I just moved to London and sort of started seeking my fortune, as it was. Lived in North London, where lots of my family are. And just started sort of learning on the hoof and performing from there and doing all of the day jobs as well. <laughs> oh, and you're a nice Jewish girl from North London then? Yeah, well, when I was about four, mum and dad and I obviously moved out to a little village in Hertfordshire, which was beautiful and gorgeous. And they're still there. But my grandma's in Hendon. I've got a sister in Barnet and a sister in Mill Hill. So, yeah, everyone's everyone's around there. And what's your instrument, apart from your voice, which we'll come on to? I play the piano. Not very well. My mum's a piano teacher. And I played the violin also very badly. I played the drum kit, the recorders, and sort of just had a go on anything I picked up. I've played the guitar before, again, just terribly. But yeah. (laughs) But really what's extraordinary is we've got to know, we have to know, how do you do it? How do you manage to imitate all these (laughs) different people from... I mean, you were Julie Andrews. You were... Brittany or Liza Minnelli or how did you do it? Thank you so much. You know what? You're the first person that's asked that question. (laughs) I watch a lot of YouTube and I listen to a huge amount of music and I'm a bit sort of pernickety about it usually. So I'll record a tiny bit of Shirley Bassey and then I'll record my voice singing as her and then I'll listen and compare it and then repeat and try again and again. And usually that helps me build a a really good impression. I've been working on Shirley Bassey, I think, since I was about 21. So a long time. Some of them take years to come and others I can get straight away. And how do you choose them? 
It was so on the money. You so nailed when when you started with Goldfinger. <gasps> oh, thank you. Do you know, I was so nervous. So when I look back at that, if I look back at that clip or listen back, I'm always going, no, that one, that one's no good. No, oh, that was rubbish. Oh, we no, wouldn't that know that. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it was not good enough for me, actually, that performance. I've never been so nervous in my life. I guess I... I choose really distinctive, famous voices, famous songs that everyone will know. So there's something for everybody in my act. I guess not everybody's going to get every voice or if they do, then they're my best friend. Yeah. So whether you're nine or 90, you'll recognize somebody in there. And when you decided that you wanted to go this way, is there, a, I don't know, is there some kind of, how, how do you even start getting jobs? So I was at school and we were doing a show at school and there just happened to be an agent in the audience there. And she said, do you want to join my agency? And so I said yes and and deferred my place to university and moved to London. So she put me up for auditions and I got a little pantomime in in Euston. (laughs) The person that I was working with told me there was a production of Little Voice going on. And so I lied, <laughs> told a fib to the director and said, oh, I'm absolutely brilliant at impressions. Can I audition? And they said yes. And then I had to learn. <laughs> so I never, ever meant to be an impressionist. Wow. I think I, I meant to be a classical singer at one point, but uh, or maybe, a, you know, in musical theatre, but never an impressionist. It hadn't crossed my mind. Gosh. So, but you have the a, right humour. <laughs> and a lovely way of being, a, a smile. I think that goes such a long way and it, it came oh, across. Oh, good. Oh, was, good. That's really good. Yeah, I'm quite a positive person. It feels right. So. Tell us what it's like to be on Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's when, you, when the camera angle swings around and we can see what you can see, I feel yeah. nervous for you and I'm sitting in my sitting room. It was so intimidating. I've done a lot of gigs now. I've done some shows, not not any West End or big ones like that, but I've done some shows and I've put on my own show at the Edinburgh Festival. And sometimes I've been lucky enough to have, you know, 300 people there, sometimes only three. But to perform in front of 2000 people, I've never done that, not with my act. And it sounds like the most stupid thing to say, but Having the judges sit there, it was like being inside the telly. It was really weird. (laughs) Have you met them beforehand or do you just... No, no. And the other weird thing is when you're doing a gig, usually they'll they'll say, please welcome to the stage Jess Robinson for the audience to know you're coming on and, and you walk on with a bit of confidence and you know it's time to go on. Yes. But... I sort of was just left to sort of wander on onto this huge stage. <laughs> so you're not called it on. Was totally what? surreal. You you just have what you have a number or you have how do you know it's your turn then? Well, I didn't really. Um, I was there from nine in the morning until nine in the evening. I went on about nine. Yeah, I think I went on about nine o'clock. Gosh. And. They said, oh, you're going to meet Anton Deck now. So I thought, oh, good. We'll probably just be a little bit more filming and a little bit more of an interview because you're doing a lot of waiting all day, but also lots of interviews with people. So I thought, oh, it's my time to be interviewed with Anton Deck. And they said, you're right. How are you doing? All of that. And then they, they sort of just walked me to the stage and they said, are you ready? And I was mm. like, what now? I didn't like, it's just. Oh, you hadn't totally collected unprepared. yourself. Yeah, I didn't have time to collect myself. It was very odd, very, very odd. So I think maybe they do it on purpose so people aren't quite prepared when they walk on stage because it, you know, makes it more exciting and more nervy. And <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Did you have family with you or friends with you? 
I had my best friend with me, Jen, and that's it. I didn't tell my mum I was doing it. Oh, they, they all watched afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told her after I'd done it because I had to tell her about the whole experience. But yeah, and it's really real that when you you have no idea how you're going to do or how the judges are going to react, it's completely yeah. The thing that I was most nervous about and um, scared of was because I've been working at this since I was 18 and, you know, really trying to make it. And I've had some lovely highs and a few, you know, quite a few lows and, as well. I was so worried that Simon Cowell or, or one of the judges would turn around and go, you're rubbish. And then all of the work that I'd done would have been for nothing, it would have felt. And I would have had to rethink my whole profession. And maybe some of the professional people that I'd work with would think that I was rubbish as well. I was just felt like there was such a lot at stake. Oh, well, they didn't. And you were wonderful. Thank and, you. <laughs> and thank you for the behind the scenes tour. Where, where to now? Where to now? Well, if I get through to the semis, I would love to do Jesse J and um, Alicia Dixon. That would be really fun to, to imitate her. Who else? Shakira, people like that. That would be great fun. And what sort of what sort of career path would can you see yourself going on to in the future? I would love to be able to do the live shows that I've been doing, but actually have lots of audience there. That would be lovely. I'd like to sell some tickets and be able to afford a band. That would be incredible. And I guess the ultimate dream is to have my own Saturday night TV entertainment show, a bit like the Marty Kane show or something like that, where I can do sketches and have yes. guests on and sing and all of that sort of stuff. Britain's Got Talent's Jess Robinson speaking to arts editor Kate Fulton there. Don't forget Britain's Got Talent can be seen Saturday evenings at 8pm on ITV. In just a moment, we'll be this week's Schmooze. Remember, we live stream the Schmooze on our Facebook page every Thursday evening from 7pm British summertime. The address is coming up, but it does mean that you can comment along as the discussion unfolds. And of course, we'll try and read out those comments as and when we get them. It's just one of a number of ways that you can share your Jewish views with us. Speaking of which, if you would like to get involved, we would love to hear your Jewish views. You can always email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash Jewish Views or on Twitter. We are at Jewish Views UK. And of course, all of those details can be found at our website, jewishviews.co.uk. Now, on Monday the 24th of April, a record number of British participants took part in the annual March of the Living from Auschwitz to Birkenau. The UK delegation totaled around 260 people marching alongside individuals from as far away as India and coincided with Yom HaShoah, Israel's Holocaust Memorial Day. Community editor Diana Toman has been speaking to Jude Williams, the chief executive of SEDEC, and Ben Salomon, the SEDEC education programme manager, both of who took part in the march. Diana started by asking Jude to tell us a bit more about the event itself. I'm one of the educators on March of the Living and on the UK delegation. The UK delegation has a very special trip to join the March of the Living. March of the Living is one day. It's Yom HaShoah. 
And there is a march of around 12,000 people from 42 different countries around the world and non-Jews as well. A lot of Polish people actually join the march as well. But it is that very specific march between Auschwitz I and Birkenau. The UK delegation, we add on an extra five days and we explore 1,000 years of Polish Jewish history. And so we have a complete experience. We go to other death camps, but we also go to shtetls and towns and museums and exhibitions. We meet Jews who are alive today living in Poland. So we add on to the march an experience of Polish Jewish life past, during the Holocaust and present. So that adds a sort of element of hope and rejuvenation and not just looking back at the past, however horrific it was. That's right. I mean, we're trying to have a full educational experience that helps people connect to their history. And there's one part of that history that I think attracts us all to understand a bit more because it's so catastrophic, so tragic that we want to get a little bit closer to it and understand it. But in doing that, we have to understand what we actually lost because the tragedy of the Holocaust is the life that we lost. So let's really explore that life and what that was about and how vibrant and and, and incredible it was. Let me give you one little example. In Warsaw, Warsaw Jews were one third of the Jewish population in Warsaw. In the whole of Poland, we were 10% of the entire population. We were so vibrant. There were 20 daily newspapers in Warsaw. Jewish, Yiddish, all sorts, but 20 daily newspapers. Are there any now? There actually are Jewish newspapers in Poland. I don't think they're daily, but there is a small community. It's anywhere between 10 and 100,000 Jews in Poland today, but actively involved, probably about 3,000. The length of the march, how close was Birkenau to Auschwitz, the camp itself? It's three kilometres, the actual march between the two places. It takes us the whole day because we get there and, of course, getting 12,000 people together and ready for a march takes a little bit of time. And then the march itself takes about 45 minutes. It's quite a sombre moment. There's a little bit of singing, sort of appropriately so. Some people march in a very sort of... I'm glad to be here, I'm alive, the Jewish people go on. And other people march in a more, I'm remembering and I'm thinking and I'm I'm feeling more sort of sad and contemplative. And at the end, we go into Birkenau and we have a ceremony for about two hours or so that includes huge amounts of speakers, including this year, Elie Wiesel's son, who spoke to us very passionately. And presumably, when you say you had speakers, was there a religious element to it as well? I mean, was Kaddish said, for instance? Yes, Kaddish was said, her tikvah was sung, but there's also speeches. Some of them are a bit more political. There's some speakers from Israel and so forth, and some is a little bit more political. And some of it is more about remembrance, and some of it is more contemporary, trying to add messages and narratives to it. So it's an, it's an interesting end. And of course, the UK delegation being about education, we like to unpick that afterwards and feel how people react to that. Ensure people are open to what it could be and then try and unpick it a little bit afterwards and sort of how do you feel about that? Was that hit the mark? I have to say this year for many people it really did hit the mark. Talking about how you feel about it, let's talk to Ben who did actually go on the march, I gather for the first time ever. Yeah, that's correct. First time in Poland with a Jewish group, which was really special. Jude mentioned it, saying Kaddish in Birkenau. It's incredibly moving. I'm very pleased I went through the experience. What did it mean to you in particular? What aspect of it can you now remember and think, that's going to stand out for me for the rest of the year? Well, I had been to Auschwitz before, just with a one-day trip with the Holocaust Education Trust. 
But this trip, just like Jude mentioned, it's just as much about the Jewish life that was lost, as well as the death camps, the places where it happened. My family are Polish, and it was very moving to think that they might have visited these shores. They might have lived here. They were in the area. And that's something I now want to find out more about my own Polish family, which I just didn't know anything about apart from a surname. It sounds like a, a little plot for who do you think you are, doesn't it? You're going to put it to them. Yeah, but beforehand, I consider myself British. If you had asked me who I am, I would have said British, but the level of my great-grandparents were almost entirely Polish. And I want to be more proud about that fact. I want to delve deeper into my own history. I'm just trying to think about what I would do on a march like that. I think singing must have been enormously important. But did you have to have any special gear, for instance, walking shoes? What was the terrain like, if I can ask you that? Comfortable shoes are a must. But every one of the 12,000 Jews that were there had March of the Living merchandise, if you like, jackets with the branding on. Each country had a hat with representing the country that they came from. A lot of people were actually swapping hats with each other in a sign of unity, with people meeting each other from different countries. And there were lots, lots of Israeli flags being flown. There were people singing. And I think it's important to remember that everyone reacted to that march in their own way. For some people, singing Jewish songs and a celebration of life was appropriate. For others, finding a quiet space for a moment of reflection was equally appropriate and important. I'd only say that actually the march is open to everybody across the Jewish community, young and old. We take anybody over 18 and there are different buses for different age groups. So if you're a student or from a youth movement or if you're a young adult Jewish professional, but also if you're an adult, there is a bus for you. So please do consider coming along next year over Yom HaShoah. What happens if you're disabled? So we try as far as possible to accommodate as many people as possible with whatever needs that they have. Talk to us, I think, it would be the answer to Jude Williams and Ben Salomon from SEDEX speaking to community editor Diana Toman there about taking part in this year's March of the Living. You might also like to read what online editor for the Jewish News Jack Mendel has written about it as he also took part. Have a look on jewishnews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views, and this is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. Joining Adam Bradley and me today is founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carberts. And the subject today has been inspired by Diana's interview we heard just now. The annual March of the Living took place in Poland on Yom HaShoah. Its poignancy is, amongst other reasons, designed to demonstrate that despite the Nazis' efforts, Jews are still here. We thought we'd look at the relevance of events such as March of the Living and ask how important are they in raising awareness of hatred. David, let's start with you. How important do you believe events such as March of the Living are? I think, Clive, it's fantastic. I think it's hugely important because it's a visible demonstration of Jewishness, of Jewish identity, all the things that possibly when we were younger we were sort of hide away from and not wanting to be too obvious, not wanting to be too relevant. And today they're coming out, they're not afraid to walk, they're not afraid to march, to wear their kippahs, to show that we are Jewish, this is a revival, this is a renaissance, and as I come from a family which lost so many members 
in the Shoah, in the Holocaust, in Poland, it has special significance to me. And one of the things I did as a company from the very early stages, I wanted to get involved with March of the Living. Originally, it was an Israel concept with a travel agent in Tel Aviv who thought and planned and got it going. Today, it is massive. People are coming from all over the world. Interestingly, it's not just Jewish people who are marching. It's non-Jewish, it's politicians. It's anyone who wants to identify themselves with Poland. So from a personal perspective, I think it's fantastic. And it's growing bigger and bigger every year. And there's a knock-on effect, Clive, because not only are they going for the March of the Living, which generally is just after Pesach, but people are going to Auschwitz, to Krakow, month after month, tour after tour, group after group. And that, for me, is fantastic. Yes. Right. Judy, what do you think? I think it's great, and I think it's something, as well as everything, I agree with everything David said, I think it's something we can all take on board and do ourselves. I know a lot of Muslim ladies, for instance, wear the hijab, 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 just the the covering of their hair. And a lot of us, it's not obvious what we are, who we are. We might wear a mugging dovid, but otherwise. And when I go out, I have a couple of bags. And if I'm teaching at Jamie, the Jewish Association for Mental Illness, I will always take my Jamie bag with me. And I have it on the bus or walking or wherever I am. And I think it's great. As you said, I run the Jewish Poetry Society and I also host competitions in the Harrow Times and the Barnet Borough. And on that, I've got my email address to send them to is Jewish Poetry Society at whatever. And people have said, why don't you do JPS? And I don't want to. I'm proud and I think we all need to be proud and make that stand. And I think it's fair to say that over the years we've been sensitive and probably that goes for everybody sitting in this studio this evening, that we've been sensitive about Israel, about Jewishness. And often when someone says, you know, we've got a budget, we want to take 100 people, incentive tour, we want to take them somewhere as a thank you on the corporate side of the business, where can we go? At that point, the travel agent's got a lot of discretion. It's up to him. It's interesting that neither of you have mentioned what is, I think, one of the most important things about this, which is the religious side of it. Because the Jews have been taught that whatever God does to the Jews... The Jews are here to show the world, to teach the world what is important, what is the truth of God. And neither of you have mentioned that. You've both talked about what matters to both of you, and that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. But there's a great deal more to it, isn't there, Adam? I wonder how relevant, though, a march, a demonstration is to tackling anti-Semitism or racism in general. I mean, it's it's very nice, but was anyone here on the march? No. 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 So we don't really know how effective it was. I mean, is there any point? I understand there's there's points to education, there's points to having a Holocaust memorial, but... But you can say the same about anything then, Adam. You can say, why do people demonstrate outside embassies? Why do they, the Zionist Federation, call in a massive demonstration to counter-demonstrate against pro-Palestinian uh, march or whatever it is outside the Israel embassy? I think there has to be some basis to do it. And people who are sort of in the, in the business of understanding how these demonstrations work, the Zionist Federation, the Board of Deputies, will tell you that it's of paramount importance. Really? Because it's proof of survival. 
That's the important thing. And that is the thing that has to be taught to everybody. And whether you make a great fuss about it or whether just a few people hear about it, it's still proving it. Yeah, that is true because there's still this sensitivity about it. Very rarely in history has something which happened 70, 80 years ago continued year in, year out and still hasn't gone away. Thankfully, but the Holocaust Educational Trust and all the organisations who are propping it up on a day-by-day basis makes it sort of a headline. And you see yourself, Clive, every day there's something else about anti-Semitism in the paper. Are we sensitive? I am. Are you? Well, of course. Yeah. And That's if, a natural thing, And isn't if it? there's something that happens in the news and it's a Jewish name, or like when it was Philip Green, you know, you take these things on board personally. You can't help it. We do feel, and I think we do need to show solidarity. And if that is by marching, which I didn't do, then good. Do we not have to look a little bit beyond what we're talking about? It, it feels a little insular that we're just talking about Jews. Because well, true does also. this demonstration then, is it not, not only is it never forget, never again, we should be looking at what's happening now in the world. Isn't, isn't that what Holocaust Memorial oh, is absolutely about? absolutely what's happening in Syria, And are example. we possibly too sensitive to our own issues that it's kind of blocking our actual vision on, on what we should be commemorating here? That's a fair point. But the Holocaust is something which has been so horrific and it's been relevant for the last 60 or 70 years and it's not gone away because all of us living today are just one generation perhaps i'm lucky that i was born one generation later but the holocaust didn't happen because purely because of anti-semitism in germany in the 30s the holocaust happened because of hundreds of years build up of basically mini holocausts along the way yeah, the spanish but, inquisition yeah, exactly. and the i mean there's pogroms and in spain you name it all yes. over the world um and russia jews were thrown well, out. right so you're all proving what i've been trying to say all the time that century after century all these pogroms all everything was directed at the jews to stop try and stop the jews and get rid of them and they've never succeeded I think it makes us stronger. I think anything like that, it's almost like judo, with the more energy you put into something, the more energy will come out. And it, I know if someone says something to me, you know, you mustn't do that. It's more, make me more determined. Absolutely. But why? Why? I'll tell you, Clive, why I think, A, we're hugely sensitive to this day. And in my own office, I probably behave better than anyone else because I'm conscious of the fact that I'm Jewish. I'm conscious of the fact that it's mine, my company, and I need these people that, whether they like me or they don't like me, that's not relevant. Unfortunately, they probably do. What I'm hugely concerned about is that we behave in a way which is dignified, which shows the Jews as a race, because I've got to use that word, who who do things correctly and don't deserve all the stick, all the stigma, all the rubbish that you, I, Judy and Adam read in the papers on a daily basis. But we're not faultless. You know, we, we have to be aware that we have our own issues as well. We have our own issues, but coming back to the question of how relevant you asked is a march, is a demonstration. Look what happened in America. I happen to support Donald Trump. Same I think here. he's good. He's good viewing to start with. But look at the demonstrations, whether it was in Washington, Minneapolis, Boston, Chicago, Miami, San Francisco, all over America. And the power of demonstration clearly is very strong indeed. I, I do get what you're saying, David, but my issue here is more a case of how 
going forward, how we deal with it. And for all the efforts and, and money and time that went into the demonstration itself, what did people who aren't Jewish... What did they learn from that? Oh, right, Holocaust again. Why can't we put those efforts into educating? The fact that people probably think, oh, well, anti-Semitism came around in, in the 1930s. It didn't. People don't necessarily know that. There's so much. That goes, and they don't know that this march is also to stop it happening to yeah. other people, to other races. It did happen hundreds of years ago. You're right. But we're living in this world and it's therefore in this particular generation. That's what we will look at. There's no point me looking or considering what happened in Spain 300 years ago. I can only think what happened in Hamburg when my parents got chucked out and came to this country, left everything behind. I'm happy, as I said, that I was born in England and didn't have to go through what people went through one generation. So me as an individual will never forget it, march or no march. But the basic thing is, the thing that I keep trying to put across and don't seem to be getting anywhere with at the moment with any of you, is that it's much more important than that. It's to show the world that Judaism is something from which we all, whether we're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, even atheist, that the Jews have a story to tell which is very important. It's the way to live one's life. And that is why a march like this is important, not just from from the local point of view of reminding about Nazism, but the march it's, wasn't oh, about that, though. It, no, I, I'm not so people. sure, Clive. You can't compare them all and say there is a no, way to No, we're talking about the core of what Judaism is, looking at it from the point of view of when God had his agreement with Abraham. And if we're supposed to be this example of how to conduct your life, and we're also supposed to be so sensitive and understanding of what happened in the Holocaust, then why, for example, the Yazidi girls and women that were stuck on a mountaintop for days and days and nobody did anything? People went and filmed it and said, oh, isn't this terrible? No one did anything. What have we learned exactly? What is the point of doing these things if we're not going to learn from it? Because to some extent, Adam, I think it's a huge point that you're saying. It is absolutely true. And you know yourself, you look at it in the paper and you say, that's really terrible. And then you turn over the page to see what's on television. That is the reality. But if you ask me to say, what is this March of Living all about? I would say it's a celebration of survival. Well, that's the point. And and also remember that everybody has free will. But you try and show people that with free will, this is the way one should survive and teach the world. That's the whole point. I mean, it may sound rather pompous to you, but that is what it's all about. No, it's inspirational. It doesn't sound pompous at all. Well, I guess look at the Torah. I mean, all the lessons in the Torah, they're not a case of look at all these perfect people and everything they did, be like them. It's a case of look at all the mistakes that have been made. Look at all the bad things that have happened to the Jews. Let's learn from that. And I think that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Bad, yes. You know, and we've got to make sure we do learn from it. Yeah, but it. why the Jews, Clive? Why the Jews? Because they, they if you are like... Are we so, such bad people? I mean, you know the famous saying that we are the chosen people. We were the first... When I say we, I mean the Jews were the first people to discover God and to teach it all the way down. And Muslim and Hindu and Christianity are all based on Judaism. I think David just summed it up really when he said it's 
a real show of we survived this. And there's the National Holocaust Museum in Nottingham. They're doing a holographic representations of survivors. They're filming them. They're recording thousands of questions. And all I could think of is Hitler, you've gone. In 100 years' time, the survivor will still be there. Well, you've said exactly what I've been trying to say, and I think that's what we're going to have to leave it. Thank you very much. My thanks to our guests, founder of West End Travel, David Siegel, and founder of the Jewish Poetry Society, Judy Carberts. Well, it's time now for our rabbinic thought for the week, and this time it comes from Rabbi Michael Evan David from Edgware Masorti Synagogue. The two parashiot of this week, Tadria and Metzorah, are full with complex and challenging mitzvot. The second parsha, Metzorah, refers mostly to a person who is ill with tzerat, a skin disease that we often identify as leprosy, but in the interpretation of the rabbis was only contracted by gossip and defamation. They make a wordplay of the word Metzorah as an acronym of Moti Shem Ra, to cause your neighbor to have a bad name. Maimonides defines who is a gossiper by saying that is whoever claims things about somebody else and goes telling them from person to person. Maimonides says that even if the things are true, he still causes destruction in the world. Even worse than that, in his view, is Lashonara, defamation, and is the one that tells bad things about somebody else, even if they are true. Then, if he's lying, then it's even worse, and is considered Motsi Shemra, one that creates a bad name for another person. Maimonides further claims that the one who does Lashonara is equivalent to one that commits idolatry, incest, or murder. There's a nice Hasidic story to illustrate this point. It is told about a man that spoke badly about somebody in the neighborhood and then repented. He didn't know what to do and went to consult his rabbi, who sent him back to his house to bring a large pillow. The man did not understand, but did as told. The rabbi took the pillow and a knife, ripped open the pillow, spilling all the feathers to the wind, turned back to the man and said to him, Go now and collect all the feathers back. The man thought the rabbi went mad and said, But rabbi, I will never be able to do that. Maybe I could find one, two, three feathers, but the rest already flew away. The rabbi looked him into his eyes and said, Exactly, as the feathers, the power of your words already left your mouth, and it is impossible to put them back inside. May we always be careful with our words. May we always be able to understand that they have a power that can create or destroy, and that it's impossible to take our words back. Doesn't matter how many amends we try to make afterwards. Well, working in radio, I certainly know the power of words, that's for sure. I think all of us here at the Jewish Views do. Thank you very much indeed to Rabbi Michael Evan David from Edgware Mazorti Synagogue with our thought for the week there.
And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thanks very much to all our guests, politician David Ward, as well as the Liberal Democrat candidate for Harrow East constituency, Adam Bernard, Britain's Got Talent impersonator Jess Robinson, Jude Williams and Ben Salomon from SEDEC talking about taking part in March of the Living. Thanks to our other contributors and, of course, to you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget the team, including our producers, Adam Bradley, Sue Greenberg and Tony Honigberg. You can always listen to the most recent edition of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk, where you'll also find a link to listen to all previous episodes as well. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News and is part recorded at the studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.